0: need you to help me with my crazy family, marriages and raising kids, insanity, there must be some prescription.
1: Welcome. That is the most hideous video ever. I need that destroyed. I can never run for office. It's okay. So grateful to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars, guys, real quick. We love you guys. Grateful for you. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming out. Man, last week was so much fun to have my whole family on stage. Can we just give my family a hand real quick? I'm so grateful for them. They did such a great job. And so... All my family's here, but one, well, I got Mason over at Rodfield. That's where he serves over there, and everyone else is here. So Jessica, every time I'm, I'm trying to drag her on stage, she's like, no. No, she, you got to understand. She's like, no. I, I don't have anything really good to say. No one wants to hear me talk. And, and every time, people give us the most comments when she shares. That's the funny thing. It's like every single time. And so she was, like, totally convinced. One time I, I, I had her preach, and she, she actually yeah, she does a really good job. She, how many of you guys want to hear Jessica preach? Who wants to hear... There you go. See, I'm telling you. So years ago we were on Trinity Broadcasting Network and we, we you know, showed our, our broadcasts all across the nation and around the world and uh, from coast to coast and around the world, TBN. Anyway, so we were on there. And so we were on there weekly. And so we finally did a study to see what's the highest rated show we have ever done. Like we have Nielsen ratings. What's the highest rated? The highest rated show we ever showed from this church was when Jessica preached on TBN. <laughs> Not me. That was the highest rated It wasn't even me. So, you know, there you have it. So apparently she does have something to say. So it was so much fun having them all on stage. I think all of them did such a great job and so proud of my kids. And so thanks for letting us just share our family and and kind of open up to you guys about who we are. And so, again, thanks for letting us do that. It was a lot of fun. Today I'm talking about how God can heal your hurt. Many people are hurt and and have a wound, and and sometimes that healing is fast. You know, Mason talked about last week about how he really had this rush of God's grace, this rush of forgiveness that God just really did something special, like in this one moment that was really powerful. But then I love the fact that Cole said, it wasn't like that for me. It was like a season of healing for me. And so I think it's important to understand that it may be an instantaneous thing for you, or it may be a season, but either way, you need to know God heals. And so I just want to encourage you that God can heal your hurt, He can heal your brokenness. He really can restore you. He can do that. He wants to do that in your life. And so I want to to encourage you to pull out uh, some notes. Grab something to to write some notes on. Your bulletin has a spot on it for that. And uh, let's say our mission statement together as a church. What are we here to do? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Check out the first verse for the day. It's Psalms 147:3. It says, "He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds." So I'm not trying to suggest that you and I can heal ourselves. We cannot. But God brings healing, but we can work with his healing. If you were to go to MD Anderson, if you have cancer and you want to be healed of that, they're going to give you a program that works, but they're going to say, you got to do your part. You have to do your part and we'll do our part. God is that way. God says, I will bring healing to you, but I want you to work with me in the healing process. And so we're going to talk about that today. Sound good? All right, let's do it. So check out the scripture. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. You may want to write down the word perseverance. You know, perseverance suggests that this run, this race that we're in, is not a short sprint, but the long haul. I ran track in high school. I was not the fastest. Now I just run if I'm being chased by a large, scary man. But... I ran in high school. I wasn't really that good. My wife ran cross country. That's like crazy people, okay? I don't know who does that. That's like the long distance, they just keep going forever kind of thing. It's just hilarious. Anyways, I, I, that is just not me at all. She's not the fastest, but she will outrun me every time. I'm like, I don't want to stop. She's like, Bill, we only ran around a block once. What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm just exhausted. So anyways, but run with perseverance. But if you're going to run short distance or long distance, you really need to not carry baggage with you. If God wants us to be in a perseverance, in an endurance run, you need to know that you are not intended to carry a load with you when you're running. So we need to learn to let go of this hurt, of this pain, so we can actually run fast and far. God has so much more for you than to carry that pain. He says, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Another translation says the author of our faith, or the pioneer, another word for that. It says, for the joy set before us, hold on, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you wanting to grow weary and lose heart, maybe in your family or in your marriage? He says, hey, hey, before you do that, consider that Jesus was the pioneer, the author of your faith. The pioneer means he was the first one to go down that trail. You know, I love to go skiing, and uh, I will tell you this, I, I love to ski. And, and when I go skiing at least once a year when I get a chance to do that, I always uh, like to go on the first run if I can, I like to get up early, go on the first run. And, and it's, the, it's when they have the, the best powder, right? And so it means you're the first down the hill. No one's been down it yet. It's fun. It's real fluffy. But the truth is it's slower because you're cutting a trail. But once someone's cut the trail for you, you can fly down that same trail. Jesus wants you to know in the scripture, he has already gone down the path of your pain, the cross. He went and took all of our pain to the cross so that you and I don't have to go slowly through that pain. We can just get through it. God wants you just to follow him. He's going to help you get through it quicker instead of being stuck in it. Never in the Bible does it say to wallow or stay in your pain. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever you're going through, just keep going. You're going to get through it. But know this, Jesus cut the trail for you. So he took the hit for you. So you can just follow him. He will help you get through this difficulty. I'm going to show you another scripture on this. It says this in 1 Peter, check it out. It says, dear friends, don't be bewildered and surprised when you go through fiery trials ahead. I was looking at that. The original uh, meaning of fiery trials actually says, don't be surprised when you go through the burn or when you burn. Why would it say that? Why would it say go through the burn? Or fi- why would it just say go through difficulties, painful hardships, tough times? It doesn't use that language. It says when you go through the burn, the burning or fiery trials. The reason why is because this was written when Nero was king in Rome. And he was actually burning Christians. He would actually take Christians because they blamed the, the great fire of Rome. They blamed it in the first century. They blamed it on Christians. And so this is what's called the dispersion. It's when Christians dispersed all around the world. And God actually used that, fiery, uh, that fire in Rome when they were blamed to run off all the Christians. But actually what it did is it dispersed Christianity all around the world. So God used it. God always uses what you're going through, the fire you're in right now, to actually take his gospel further. When you go through difficulty, it expands you. Does that make sense? So there's a great fire. But he says, hey, don't be surprised. You may be burned next. That's what he's saying here. Nero would literally take Christians and he would pour hot tar over their naked bodies and light them on fire to be the light of Rome at night. That's what he did. Just keep that in mind when, you, when you're going through something. That whatever we think we're going through, we, we think we know persecution. <laughs> no. We think persecution means someone's being mean to me on Twitter No, that's persecution, right? And so just just remember that. Don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials, when you go through the burn, when you get burned. For this is no strange or unusual thing that is going to happen to you. It goes on to say this. Instead, be really glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterwards, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory in that coming day. You see, we all say, oh, I want to be like Christ. I want to know him. Well, to know him is to know his suffering. And what made you think that there wasn't going to be any difficulties in your family? I mean, part of the suffering is going to be the fact that we go through things as individuals, as couples, as, as families, as parents, as children. We go through things. So you're going to go through some things. So, so you just got to keep this in mind. But know this, at no point did Jesus quit. He didn't quit the cross. He doesn't quit on you. He doesn't want you to quit in your family either. Would you write this down? Number one is to remove the quit option. Navy SEALs are known to be elite soldiers. In, in Marcus Luttrell's book, he's the one who they made the movie called The Lone Survivor about. It's a true story. That Mar- Marcus Luttrell talks about how early on in his career as a Navy SEAL, he had to go to Bud's, which is where you become a Navy SEAL. And when he went there, they, they, they put you through four weeks of rigorous, straight-up torture. I mean, it's unbelievable what they go through. But the last week is the hardest. The last week after, after swimming swimming for hours and miles, running for hours and, and, and miles with, with 50, and 70, 50 to 75-pound packs on your back, doing all this grueling exercise, incredibly difficult work. After going through all that, the last week they called Hell Week, the fourth week, And in Hell Week, you do the same thing you've done all all the first three weeks, but in Hell Week, they increase the amount of time you do it, and they also take away sleep. You sleep for a total of four hours over five days while doing all this grueling work. There's a bell that's prominently placed where they do all this on Coronado Island, which is where all this training happens out in San Diego. And at any point in time, if you're just too exhausted and can't take any more, you can't mentally take it or physically take it anymore, you can get up. You can ring the bell, and that's you saying, I quit. And you just walk off and go, and the bus will take you home. Two-thirds of all men that get to Bud's quit sometime during Hell Week. Only one-third make it. Think about that. They get that far, and they're still not strong enough to do it. They asked Marcus Luttrell, they said, why didn't you ring the bell? Why didn't you just want to quit? He said, oh, that was easy. Quitting was never even an option for me. Never in my mind did I consider the bell an option for me. You see, here's the truth. Elite soldiers do not have a quit button. Just like elite marriages do not have a quit button, elite families do not have a quit button, elite Christians do not have a quit button. I'm not going to give up my faith. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to give up on my church, on my family, on my marriage. I don't have a quit button. You've got to remove that the first thing you got to know is you have to remove the quit button. You have to remove quit as an option. It's no longer an option for you and I. You know, I used to, years ago, do a lot of marriage counseling for people and before, when, when the church wasn't, wasn't the size it is today. And when I, when I handled most of that, uh, I noticed a pattern that when couples were, were really going through it, almost always one of the partners, one of the spouses would be dreaming of leaving the other. And uh, I found it interesting, I'd always have to challenge them and say, you know, you gotta, you got to let that dream of being away from them die. Because you're imagining, these are just imaginations, you're imagining it being so wonderful not to be married to them anymore, so wonderful to be married to someone else, or whether it's already someone you're picked out or even flirting with or even connecting with, or whether it's just someone mentally you're already thinking that one day I could meet my perfect man or woman or whatever. And so the truth is you got to let that die because the grass is not greener over wherever you're looking at. The grass is greener where you're watering it. So you have to let that dream die. It's, it's a lie. It's a facade. It's not real. So you have to let that die. What you have is real, and you can turn it around. You really can. You've got to remove the quit button and quit dreaming of something that's not real and dream about what is real and making it great again. God wants to do that for you. Now, how did Paul do this? Paul is a great example of someone who really went through it, went through difficult times. So how did he uh, get, get through his difficulties? Look at Acts chapter twenty. He says this: Paul was serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me. So he says, "Yeah, I served God, but it was with many tears that I did what I did." Now, now, Paul, let's just let's just talk about him for a second. Paul was incredible. He's one of the greatest apostles. In fact, we would probably argue outside of Jesus in the New Testament, no one was more influential. Just about. I mean, you could argue, I guess, maybe Peter, but the truth is, Paul wrote half the New Testament. I mean, the guy was just simply amazing. They weren't in competition anyways. They were all, you know, friends and brothers in Christ. But the truth is, Paul was incredibly powerful. God used him incredibly uh, to, to reach the whole world for Christ. I mean, he single-handedly just about took Christ to, to every nation. And he didn't have, you know, computers and email and, and technology and, you know, all, all that stuff. That we have the Internet. He didn't have any of that. And he almost single-handedly did it himself. It's incredible what he did. But notice that he did it while in tears. He said many tears were shed. So I wonder if, if you're on Paul's team, it was like, hey, where's Paul tonight? Where'd he go? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's back there crying again. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, Paul, the crier, he's a big baby. He's always crying. You know, I know that sounds kind of funny, but we tend to believe that that because Paul was this great man of God, that he never had a dark moment, never had a tough time. That's just not true. He said, I had many tears, but yet he never quit. He never gave up. So what's the key? Is there a secret sauce to Paul to hanging in there when, when, when probably everything in him wanted to quit at times? Did you know that everywhere that Paul went, by the way, he was beat up? Every time he went and preached, someone beat him up. I mean, listen, I've preached some bad sermons, but I've never been beat up afterwards. I'd like to not start today either. I'm just saying, like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing, right? And so, I mean, he really went through. He was falsely imprisoned. People lied about him. I mean, all kinds of mobs would attack him. I mean, it was crazy. They had to sneak him out of some towns before they tried to kill him. I mean, he had assassination attempts. It was crazy what he went through. And he said, I had many tears. So what was, what was the key for Paul? How did he overcome all those hurts and all those betrayals, all those difficulties? Here's how. Philippians chapter 3. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. That means that he kept getting better. If he made a mistake, he'd improve it and go upward. He kept getting better at what he did, right? And so towards the upward call of Christ. But he says here, forgetting what lies behind. Can I tell you the real secret to overcoming your hurt? To overcoming what happened to you two years ago in your marriage or last month with one of your kids or whatever your face facing, whatever hurt? The real key is you got to go straight up mafia. And you got to
0: forget about it.
1: You have to learn to forget about it. Turn to the person next to you right now and just go straight up mafia. Just say, forget about it. You got to do this, because if you don't do this, it's important. I think I just heard my wife. She was like, forget about it. (laughs) That's not how you say it. She's like, what? (laughs) Here's the thing. It's all about where you put your focus. He says, forgetting all that stuff, I'm focused on where God has me going. I'm focused on what God has next for me. I'm not focused on that past hurt and pain and struggle. I'm focused on the prize, the prize of the upward calling of God. I'm focused on what God has me to do. That's where my eyes are going to be, not on what happened to me. It's all about your focus. And so number two, fix your focus on Jesus. Let's read Hebrews 12 again. Different translation, look what he says. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So, so we have to fix our eyes on Christ. What you focus on matters. If you focus on the pain over and over again, it'll get bigger in your life. Did you know that? What you focus on grows. And so I want, I want to challenge you with this to so really focus on the right things and quit focusing on the, on, on the wrong things. You know what we tend to do? We tend to build routines around our hurt. Don't, do not build a routine around your hurt. Maybe, maybe your wife left you, and so you're like, you know what? I'm just going to come home every night, grab a beer, plop down on the couch, and complain about my wife while I drink myself into a stupor. You can do that, and that's not going to go well for you. It's going to turn you into a recluse, an angry, resentful person. Why don't you put the beer up, go outside, and go for a jog? Why don't you go invite a friend to go get some dinner? Why don't you get out and go do something with your church? Go join a life group. Get involved. In other words, if you, if you create a routine around your hurt and, and repeat it over and over again, let me tell you another way we create routines around our hurt. Ladies, if you get in a fight with your husband, don't call your best friend and complain about him the whole time. That's a bad routine. You're, it was bad enough the, the first time it happened. It's not between you, your husband, and your best friend. It's not between you, your husband, and your mom. It's between you and your husband. And so you work that out and then you move on. So maybe you've gone through a really tragic incident. Maybe you lost a spouse. And you're like, how do I just get over this? Well, first of all, it's not easy. I'm not suggesting it is. But you know what I always recommend to people when I'm at a funeral and, and, and they've lost someone close to them, when they say, what do I do next week? I tell them, go to work. And they're like, isn't it too soon? I'm like, probably. And that's why you should go. Because that's a good routine just to get your day past you. In other words, this may surprise you, but if you have a problem with one of your kids and you guys have a blow up, you know, tonight, what do you do tomorrow? them to school, go to the football practice. Do life. You know why? Because you got to have good routines. Otherwise, you're going to stop and say, I just can't do it. I just can't do anything else anymore. I'm just going to sit here and wallow. You're going to build a routine around that hurt, and it's going to grow and get bigger and destroy your life. Build routines around healthy things instead. And maybe maybe you've you've got an unhealthy routine going. you got to change that routine. You want to change your mindset? Change what you're doing. I know it sounds really simple, but fix your focus. If you'll get your eyes on Jesus and what he has for you in your future, then, then that's important. If you don't, let me tell you what happens. You focus on your hurt, you focus on your anger, and guess what? You're like, forget it. I'm done with this family. They've hurt me too much. They've just done too much. It's not that they've hurt you too much. You keep replaying it again and again. So you think, you know, that, that you know, your husband said something really mean to you. Okay, it was really bad when it happened, and hopefully he apologized and said, why are you still replaying it in your mind? It was bad enough the first time. Quit replaying it. Focus on the future, focus on the apology, focus on moving forward, right? Focus on, you know, I had a blowout with my kid. Focus on, you know, the fact that you guys talked it through and made up and, and, and move forward now. Go do something positive together. Get your focus off of that pain. Get your focus on your future. God has bigger things for you. Michael Phelps, you know, was an incredible athlete, uh, won more Olympic medals than anybody uh, currently, and and just is amazing what he did. And he had all these, uh, you know, sponsorships, and he was making a lot of money, and he had an incredible career. And then one day, he made a mistake, and he went to a party, and and, uh, someone caught it on video of him uh, smoking pot. And he lost a bunch of sponsorships. He what he really lost was kind of being that American, uh, you know, this this you know pure American uh, hero type type of uh, belief that people had about him. And it really he kind of had a fall from grace. And they asked him, "How did you make up for that?" And he said, "You know what really turned things around for me?" He said, "This may seem really simple, but I just got back in the pool. It's actually really smart. I just went back to what made me good, guys." The right routines build your life. The wrong routines destroy your life. Never build a routine around your hurt. Build a routine around your healing. And if you'll do that, God can turn things around. Fix your focus on Jesus and on what he has called you to. You know what? Not only are you going to get hurt in your church, in in your family, you're also going to probably get hurt, I hate to break it to you, if you're going to be in your time at all, in your church. You know why? Because we're all just people. This is a rare moment, but I want to show a video. Show you a story of someone that, frankly, I hurt. Check out this video. So Dorothy, we've been friends a long time, and uh, a number of years ago we were we had a ministry going, and it just wasn't going very well. So we were privately trying to figure out as leaders what to do, and ultimately we closed that ministry, which was a pretty painful thing for a lot of people. Um, and you had actually stepped down from that. Tell me what was going on in your heart when that happened, when essentially. You got a little hurt by the church you love, because I don't think that's uncommon uh, among anyone at any church. So, what was going through your
0: mind during that time when you stepped down? I was confused. Um, I was I was hurt, but I never stopped trusting God. If God didn't want our church to close, then it wouldn't have happened.
1: I know you ended up eventually at one of our other campuses, and I hadn't seen you in a while. And you've still been involved, but I hadn't just I just hadn't seen you in a while. Something in me was prompted. And I just, it was like the Holy Spirit in that moment, seeing this service, people are leaving. And I just felt the Lord tell me, you need to tell Dorothy you're sorry. You just need to apologize to her. She just needs to know that, just acknowledge her hurt. That she has a right to be hurt and just acknowledge it. And so I remember just, I don't think it was anything heroic or something. I just, I just knew I needed to obey God in that moment. So I remember saying, hey, Dorothy, Dorothy. And you walked over and you know, I simply looked at you and just said, hey, it's so great to see you and I just feel led for some reason to tell you I'm just so sorry.
0: You don't want to give up what you have just over one hurt. You don't, when your child does something they're not supposed to do, you don't give up on them because they, they did something that you didn't agree with or you didn't like. So the church is the same thing. We're all a family. You don't just give up and stop because you've experienced one hurt. If I would have stopped, after being hurt a few years ago, I would have missed out on this awesome blessing that I have. I'm serving at the church again. I've met people again. I continue to bring others to Christ. The blessings continue, and they're out there for you. And you don't want to miss them just because you stopped.
1: we just give it up for Dorothy? She's an amazing person, she really is. She's a great example. Rather than wallowing in her pain and, and simply saying, you know, hey, you, you, you shut down this ministry for whatever reasons I'm mad. I'm angry. And they had every right to be angry. They really did. But she said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. This is my church. I'm going to stay plugged in and stay, stay a part of it. You know what? Some people have quit going to church because they got hurt. They just They got hurt. Uh, and they said, I, I just can't take anymore. I'm just I'm done with people. The, those Christians just hurt you. I can't go to church anymore because I'm not going to go where all those hypocrites go. And I always tell people, come on in. There's room for one more. Because we're all hypocritical at some level. We're all just human. Guys, look, Jesus got the most hurt by anyone at the church, and he still shows up. Which means you and I need to understand that we're all human, and so people are going to hurt you. It's going to happen. I hate to break it to you. I've been pastoring church for 21 years, and I've been hurt by this church. But I choose to be faithful to it. Because God has called me here. Did God call you? The question isn't, how you doing? Does it all feel good all the time? The question is, did God call you here? If you did, then hurt or not hurt, let's show up and let's honor God. Let's worship God. Let's put him first. It's not about us. It's about him. So let's honor him. I want to challenge you in fact to, to uh, understand that your church you know we don't quit we don't give up we also don't quit on lost people as a church we're still all about bringing lost people to Christ around here that's what we do this next week we're starting a brand new series called Why Am I Not Happy it's all about you know the fact that people in the world today really are hurting and unhappy and they're dealing with depression people are, have a lot of anxiety right now and so how do you overcome that next week's series is all about that in fact right now I'm going to ask you all of our campuses right now to pull out these mailers we put these in everyone's bulletin you should have two of these would you pull these out real quick I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider bringing someone with you next week to church. We take this really seriously, so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. Even If you're visiting with us, just thanks for coming. You could just join in for a moment if you would. But if you'll stand to your feet, if this is your church, if you say, this is my home, and so would you just pull out these, these mailers real quick? Because this is a tool for you to invite someone to church. These are what you call overruns. We've mailed these out, but these are the overruns, so you have one in your hand to use as a tool to bring someone to church with you, So I just want to pray right now, and I'm going to ask God to put someone on your heart that you can invite to come to church. Maybe someone, when I said the word depression, you thought, oh man, I, I got a dear friend or family member that, that is pretty depressed. They've told me that and they just seem down, this series is perfect for them. And uh, I don't know anyone that doesn't deal with depression at some level today, uh, that doesn't feel down at certain times, that, that could not use some biblical tools on how to lift yourself up, how to get out of that funk. And so that's what this whole series is all about. So on the challenge right now, let's pray. Let's ask God to put someone on our heart to bring to church for this brand new series. God, thank you, Lord, that you, you put people on our hearts and on our lives. Lord, thank you, God, that we were on your heart that's why you sent your son. Lord, you sent Jesus for us. Lord, thank you, God, that you now send us out. Just as Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to go, to go win people to Christ, to bring them back to Jesus. Lord, right now, in the name of Christ, I send these people out all around our communities to bring people back to hear about Christ. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, as Christ puts someone on your heart, just, just remember that just, that's, that's not just a name, that's an assignment, That's God giving you an assignment of someone to bring to church with you next week. Lord, thank you, God, that we can be a church that that has maximum impact, that that brings people and, and wins them to Christ, that helps them understand who Jesus really is, God. Lord, we don't want to force ourselves on anyone, but God, may we be different by the way we love and care for people so that they would see that what we have is different because we have you. In your name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And while you're seated, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say who you're going to bring next week. Why don't you do that if you would. I love this. There's even visitors who are going to bring someone next week. Isn't that great? I love that. And so we, we all can make a difference and bring someone to church with us. Thank you guys for doing that. Thanks for being that kind of a church. By the way, uh, some of our campuses are full in this service. 1130 is one of our fullest hours. We're just about full, and there's a cowboy game, and we're still just about full, Okay. <laughs> It's saying something. And so this is great. That's wonderful. The challenge is is if we're already full and everyone brings someone, then we're going to have a problem, right? So I actually want to challenge you in this service and at several other campuses, if you're full, just look around your campus right now. Just look in the room wherever you're at and see if you're full, if you are how many of you right now would say, you know what, I'm willing to go and make a move to go to the one o'clock to make sure there's room for people to come in? Because when people typically come for the first time to church, they come to the 11 o'clock hour typically, the 1130 hour for us. And so if you're willing to make a move to say, you know what, I'm willing to, I'm willing to sleep in for Jesus. It's going to be hard, but... <laughs> I'll try to do it. If you're willing to do that, to come to the one o'clock next week and bring your friend with you to the one o'clock, would you raise your hand? Would you commit to that? We really, seriously, we need several hundred people here to do that. Would you hold your hand high, please? Come on, hold those hands high. I need your help. I'm asking for your help because we, we want to make sure there's room for people. Thank you. We will be completely slammed next week because of the topic. Everyone's dealing with this right now. So thank you. Hold your hand high. Give these people a hand. that are committing to that. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for your help. Thank you. I know our San Antonio campus is about full at the 11:30 as well. That's incredible, considering that campus. The new building's three weeks old now. It's incredible. Thank you. Please consider coming to the one o'clock over there. I know Rodfield's getting full as well. They have an 8:30 service you could consider or the 10. And so, just thank you. It really does help us to move people to the right service. And your campus pastor will let you know what the need is at your campus. So, thank you for doing that. The next couple of scriptures I want to give you before we wrap it up is Proverbs 21:30 and Exodus 14. But Proverbs 21 says this there is no human wisdom or understanding or counsel that can prevail against the Lord. That's, that's saying anything coming your way, God has victory over. Isn't it good to know that? Whatever's going on in your family, God has victory over it. Whatever's going on with your teenager, God has victory over that. Whatever's going on in you, God has victory over that. Whatever you're facing, the Lord will prevail over that. Isn't that good to know that? Maybe you needed to know that today. Maybe God brought you here for that, that word. And I want to give you an example of someone who it seemed like there was no way out, there was no answer. It was all but done, was Moses and the people of Israel. Moses had led them away from Egypt. They had gotten out of Egypt, out of their slavery, but now they're on the run. And the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, said, "I'm so angry because he just watched his whole economy walk right out the door." right? And so he's, he's so angry. And so he says, let's, let's all strap up. Let's all get on our chariots and let's go kill them. So he, he six his army on them. He's leading the way. And they, they, they finally find themselves at a point where they're literally trapped. And they've got the Egyptians bearing down on them on the hill, coming down to kill them. And what's in front of them is an ocean. There's nowhere to go. Moses cries out to God, which is always the place to go next when there's nowhere to go. He cries out to God. And this is what God says to him. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. (laughs) I'm sure Moses is like, Uh, Lord, (laughs) forward means we're swimming, okay? There's water in front of us. Like, we can't just go forward, right? But he says this Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And of course, we know God parted the Red Sea, He made the impossible possible. God specializes in miracles. I want to tell you one last story. It's from the 80s, but it doesn't involve a mullet or parachute pants, okay? So <laughs> it's actually from the 1880s, okay? This is a true story. There was a, a painter who, who was a very famous painter in Germany. He painted, he liked to paint spiritual struggle. It was kind of like one of his specialties. And so he painted this very famous painting. The painting was called Die Schachspieler. Say Die Schockspieler with me. Die Schachspieler. You got to say it like a German. Schachspieler. Right? <laughs> So D. Schockspieler what actually means the chess players. Here's the painting, I want to show it to you behind me. It later became also called by art critics, Checkmate. So in this painting, you've got the devil and you've got an angel overseeing this. She looks distraught, right? Watching this young man who's very distraught. And the devil has a young man at Checkmate. An art critic looking closer at this would tell you that you may notice all of the players that, the, that Satan's already taken off the board. And you know, so Satan's trying to take you off the board too. So he's already got all these players off the board. And if you look at the dark pawns on the board, every one of those pawns represents a vice because Satan's coming at you with his vices to get you hooked on something that can destroy you. So here's this young man. He is in checkmate, frustrated. Notice the spider on the edge of the board because the devil wants to get you caught in his web. A lot of great detail in this, isn't there? It's just very interesting. I find there's a lot of, all of great details, you, you know, not to mention the fact that he's already got his hand on someone he already took off the board, right? We see a demon above looking down below, one on the other side, the guy doesn't even see it. That's where we are, isn't it? Sometimes we feel like the devil has us at checkmate. We have no move left. So in 1889, a man by the name of Paul Morphy was the grand national chess champion he founded at that time the only national chess playing organization in the world out of New York City. And he would travel around and, and, and he would play different people and, you know, kind of like they would, they would set up these famous matches and he would play them and, and he beat pretty much everyone. The guy was just, he was incredible. And so one particular, uh, one of his travels, he, he, he went to Richmond, Virginia. Word got out that he was coming there to play someone in chess. And on his way there, uh, a guy that was an art collector. Had D. De- I, I, I got to say it right. It's so hard to say it. D. De- Schockspieler. He had uh, checkmate. This actual painting in his house, and so he had collected this art. And so he knew that this famous chess player was coming. He thought, I really want him to see this this piece of art. I want to see his opinion of it, right? But he had all kinds of art as well. So he he was a pretty prominent guy. So he kind of got word to. Paul Morphy, this famous chess player, to, and invited him to his house. So he did. He came to play chess. that after that, he went to this man's house for dinner. They had dinner. He showed them all of his art. And as, as Paul was talking with the man uh, and he was describing his art and his life and that kind of stuff, they were talking over dinner. Paul kept looking over the man's shoulder because this particular painting uh, was behind him. So he kept looking at it. And because of his chess mind, he just can't shut that off. He kept looking at the board. And finally... <laughs> After looking at it for a while, the the man said, why are you still staring at the the painting? He said, you really want to know? He goes, yeah, I really do. He goes, well, to be honest with you, I think I can take that young man's game and win. He said, look, (laughs) I know you're a champion, but not even you can do that. He said, I think I can. He said, challenge accepted. So the man got up, got a chessboard, and put all the players just as it was on the painting, he played the devil. Paul played the young man in checkmate. And he said, okay, what's your move? And he began to look closely at it. And because of his expertise, he realized there, that he wasn't stuck. You see, the painter originally painting it makes it look like it's a full checkmate. But a true expert knows actually with the king still on the board, there's always one move left. And God has got one move left for you. You're not a checkmate in your marriage. You're not a checkmate with your kids. God's got another move for you. He is still on the board and so are you. So you are not done. It's time to believe God again that he's got something fresh for you. He is not done in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed Every your eye closed. We take a moment to pray. I want to encourage you today to know that the King has one more move for you. Pastor, you don't understand. My marriage is done. It's over. No, it's not. you got to believe. I know the devil's creeping up on you and you feel like he's got you checkmate, but the king has one more move. He's not done. He's not through with you. He's not through with your child. He's not through with your family. He's not through with you. He's got another move. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe God brought you here today because he wanted to tell you, don't give up, don't quit. That's not an option. Don't you dare ring the bell. I'm with you. I'll help you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you need to hear that today, you know God is speaking to you about your situation, just lift your hand high to God and just say, God, I acknowledge that you are speaking to me. I know this word is for me and I will not give up. I trust that you have another move. I trust you, Lord. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our campuses right now. Thank you. Thank you. God sees that hand, Stone Oak. God sees that hand, Rodfield. God sees that hand, Rockport. God sees that hand, Padre. God sees that hand. God sees you over at the west side. He knows you're there, and he loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He's not done. He's not through. With your head bowed, your eyes closed. Make, make your commitment to say, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to fix myself, fix my eyes. On Jesus. Dear head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, you can receive Him right now by praying a very simple prayer. It's not complicated, it's not supposed to be. It's not even supposed to be religious, it's just simple faith. Right now, you can receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You can begin a relationship with Him by praying this simple prayer. Pray this with us. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin on the cross and I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.